0: Everybody. Welcome to the All Sooners podcast. You got us on a Wednesday, November 22nd. Uh, shout out JFK, 16th anniversary. This is episode 224. We are rolling through this season. Uh, next week, I think. Well, the, the prediction is next week we will be having one episode again a week instead of two because we don't anticipate that we'll have a post game podcast. We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. That's Ryan Chapman. He's joining us from more. I am John Hoover. I'm in Tulsa. Randall Sweet is going to hop on and join us in the third segment, talk about recruiting. He's going to talk about his big trip to BYU. Poor kid's never been anywhere in his life, but he got to see some really cool stuff. <laughs> uh, we'll also discuss this week's season finale with TCU. We're on to TCU, Ryan. Hard to believe, huh? Uh, week 12, season finale. It's here. It's two days away as we record this. Season go fast or season drag drag ass kind of a little bit?
1: Uh, I think it drug from bye week to UCF, and then it sped all the way back up again. The little hiccup Oklahoma had in Lawrence and in Stillwater, trying to get the ship righted. Last week, it's hard to, I think because it was BYU and it was it was awesome, but it was so new that it didn't feel like a big 12 road trip, but that was yeah. the last big 12 road trip. And this is the last big 12 home game. So you're here uh, to Friday. We'll experience the last time a stoops will be active on an Oklahoma sideline uh, in a long time. And it'll be the first time since 1998. Like there's a bunch of stuff to like absorb of like, of the next time we gather here, Oklahoma is going to be an sec school official. Like it'll be very, very odd, but uh just locked in on this game, and, and maybe maybe next week, if there's no post game, we might do a post bowl selection, just a quick hitter, depending on if some of the weird scenarios that play out, because uh, Oklahoma could anywhere from like a New Year's Six to their pass back to the Pop Tart Bowl. It's it's all out there uh, over the next eight days for the Sooners.
0: Yeah, so I'll take you back real quick. 2018 was Drake's first year. 2017 was. Before it was after Bob's last year, 2016 was his last year. So 17 was the last time a Stoops was not on the sideline. But but no, you, you, but you had Mark or Mike, not Mark, Mike Stoops. Mike was the DC You're right for half a season for for a genuine half a season for a year DC.
1: and a half. He was the DC through 2017. Oh,
0: 17 and 18. You're and right. 18. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm losing track of uh, losing track of the Stoops brothers is what I'm doing. Um which is interesting because I asked him, I said, you know, we next year, they might not have a stoops. They might not. But I asked him, I said, so Drake, you're probably going to go into coaching. We assume. And he said, "Uh, I'm going to try and play as long as I can first. So maybe that's 2024. Maybe that's 2034. Who knows? He could be one of those guys that, Gets in the NFL and finds a niche and has a fantastic career. He's a good little player, man, and and there's been some good stuff written about him this week because it seems like every week they make him available, and every week he tells us something new, reveals something new about himself or the family or his uncles or his dad or something. I think it's really cool the way his uh, senior, senior, super senior year has evolved.
1: Yeah, and him being such a focal point of the offense after Andrew Anthony goes down, Uh, letting him really take over that Bedlam game, had a huge day against West Virginia. I know that you had been tracking this. I know that George Stoya popped it out. But if it's Jackson Arnold on Friday, uh, he has a chance to hold a record that I think is going to stand for a very long time if it is a record of how many quarterbacks that he's caught passes from at Oklahoma. And I think that we've learned throughout the years of, of the Drake Stoops experience of, you're not going to find me betting against that guy when he says he wants to play football as long as possible. Um, th- the way that he's a student of the game, obviously. But listen, go back and listen to, like Lewis Riddick on the on the broadcast when we like watched it back. And Lewis Riddick clearly is a huge, huge Drake Stoops fan as far as the high level stuff he does, putting uh, defenses, defenders' brains in a pretzel before he even gets the ball. We know how tough he is, how driven that guy is. Uh, you you won't find me betting against him. Uh, he's a dude that I think is going to go out on his own terms. And I think, not to skip too far ahead, I'm expecting a borderline career day for him uh, on Friday as, as a part of this mm-hmm. offense against TCU.
0: Yeah, now, you're a Norman guy, so you can appreciate this. How much fun would it be for us as reporters, right? And I'm sure the fans would have just as good a time if Isaac was still playing alongside Drake and those two guys were the co-leaders of the team. That would be that would be amazing. But, uh, Isaac kind of carved out his own path. He's gone into, I believe his mom said finance, um, local in Oklahoma city. He's graduated. He's out of college. So yeah, Drake's, uh, Drake's hanging around. He wants to go play in the NFL. Now that's cool.
1: Yeah. So it'll, it'll be fun to track and it'll be interesting. So I, um, obviously, uh, if you recall, not that anyone cares, uh, was brutally attacked via a targeted sickness from Eddie Redašević a year ago for what was senior day. I actually don't know how Brent Venables does senior day. Is is it still the before kickoff? Is it after the game halftime? Because I, I was I wasn't there for uh, obviously Lincoln did senior day the exact same way Bob did senior day, which is yeah. uh, before they go you know back into the locker room. They bring everybody out do all the names and stuff, then they go and get ready for it. Uh, That's something I just don't know because I I wasn't there for Senior day a year
0: ago. Yeah, it'll be before the game. Uh, And they could always – we know how Venables is. Things could change like that. But uh, as far as I know, it's uh, before the game. They've got a handful of guys who basically they're running out of eligibility. Their last game uh, at OU will be Friday. They will not be back. Um, which is interesting because there's a couple that you would think with the COVID year and what the NCAA allows and do they have to file a waiver and what can they get their sixth year back and all that stuff. I don't know. Uh, But there's a handful of guys that they're planning on being, this is their last game. Speaking of last game, Ryan, the last game that we attended, we got locked in the stadium again, again, (laughs) at BYU. We were in the press box. We recorded uh, We recorded our stand-up. Then we recorded our podcast. We were told in between, basically, that gate five is going to be open for you guys. <laughs> Whoever is in charge of locking gate five did not get that memo, and gate five was locked, the media gate, right across the lot, right across the street from the, the uh, media parking lot, which is fantastic, right across the street. That sucker was locked. <laughs> Bolted, <laughs> might I say. Bolted shut. So uh, we had to climb a fence. We had to climb a gate. We had to find a gate that was climbable because some of them have those little iron bars, you know, with the the little pointy tops and we're not climbing over those, but we found one that had a flat top. We scaled that sucker and we were out of there in about a minute and a half, Ryan. That that uh, That was one way to end a road trip season for sure. Uh, we hadn't been truly locked in yet this year, which I was getting kind of
1: worried that Rando wasn't going to get the full all Sooners yeah. experience, which is I think the first year of you, Josh and I 2021, we got locked into three different stadiums, yeah. including Oklahoma. So yes. uh, yeah, it was great trip to Provo. Great trip to BYU. There's a phenomenal video that I don't know if it will ever see the light of day of, uh, of, Randall's on one side, I'm I'm the rear guard, and Hoove is on top of the fence, and uh, it, it's it's phenomenal stuff. I think that in the video you hear Hoove be like, "Don't do that, Ryan." And it's like put that put that video camera away.
0: <laughs> I didn't want the world to see me fall. I don't <laughs> mind if the world sees me climb over a fence. I just don't want the world to see me fall.
1: Well, I, if anyone that knows us, actually, I'm the most likely to fall. I am mortified of heights. And so the, <laughs> the fence was what? Eight feet, nine feet? Nine, I say nine feet, it, yeah. It wasn't like a ridiculous fence. It was a pretty simple, like there were different places to put your foot. So you're not ever like truly having to lift yourself or suspend yourself. I was mortified the, <laughs> the whole time. And so. Uh, yeah, the, the one that was actually most likely to fall was me of like it, heights and me just do not jive at all.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, growing up in the backyard in, uh, North pole, Alaska, uh, I had, we had a tree in our backyard and I was, to my knowledge, the only person who was small enough to climb that tree, but I climbed that sucker like a spider monkey every day. And so, yeah, sh- sharpening the skills for getting out of stadiums in my fifties. That's what we're doing. <laughs> that's what we did
1: incredible stuff it was it was a memorable way to close what was a really fun trip uh for oklahoma fans no other chances to get out to provo which is why on the postgame pod i was like yeah get a home and home on the books this was fun i enjoyed it
0: um i want to go over real quick the uh where is where's that note i had um i thought it was uh, let's recap byu um we'll get off the ryan shot some really good action photos of me scaling that fence we'll put that behind us for now Maybe we'll re- revisit later in the podcast. I don't know. I'm but, a wildlife uh, I thought, photographer.
1: I was inspired.
0: Yeah, it was pretty strong. Um, I thought it was a really good win for Oklahoma. 31-24, your 24-point favorite. Uh, you go out there on the road to, uh, uh, almost two time zones away. I mean, that's a far uh, far west mountain time zone. You're, you're moving out there quite a bit. You're at elevation. Uh, you're going up against a team that's got their senior day, senior day activities. The families are out there. Everybody's playing on high emotion. Uh, they're they're a strong program, a traditionally good program, and they play with a lot of pride. And I asked some players after the game, I said, that, they looked like they were hitting. Yeah, they were hitting really good. Drake Stoops told me, for instance, uh, they hit me a couple of times. I was surprised at, at the, how hard they were hitting. So put all those factors together and you find yourself – Tied 17-17, Billy Bowman gets that interception at the goal line, runs it back, keeps Oklahoma in front instead of giving up the lead. Uh, And then they, you know, get some plays without their quarterback, without their starting quarterback in the second half. They get some plays, make some plays in the fourth quarter to win the game and kind of ensure that they wouldn't lose the game. You know, they had a one-score lead. They did some things to guarantee that they would not lose, which is something that Brent Venable's teams did not do last year. And they've had a hard time doing this year. Well, they did those things this year. I, I would call it Ryan a gritty win. Yeah, I, I like
1: BYU is really bad this year, but it's a different team at home than it is on the road. Uh, the defense played, I thought, just awful in the first half. Frankly, for this for the standard that they've set this year, um, and Brent was talked about that at Nazi on Monday. He was pretty disgusted by the run fits. You have bad run fits, plus Danny Stutzman playing through food poisoning, where he basically is running on empty because he couldn't keep anything down. Uh, and basically what you end up with was an Oklahoma team that played pretty poorly for stretches of the game defensively, but they were able to turn it on in a couple of moments to deliver the huge couple of turnovers in the second half. And, and also, something we haven't talked about a ton is How big was it for OU to come out and force the first punt of the second half? I know it put Jackson Arnold taking over the offense on his own nine-yard line and and kind of put you behind. It started a chain of a couple of possessions, of bad field position. But letting Jackson Arnold always play on equal footing or with the lead, I, I think that that's something that maybe we didn't talk about enough. Um, cause it was lost in a pretty awful performance by the run defense. Like that, I'm sorry. I know that BYU plays a ton of pride, but this year they were a bottom 10 rushing team in all college football. That can't happen. But you won despite the fact that you played poorly for stretches defensively and then didn't have your starting quarterback offensively. I I don't know, uh, for the second half, I, I don't know what else you could say other than you escaped, you survived, good job, you made the plays. That's good. Teams do that.
0: Yeah, this is one of those games that you look back on, and yes, they absolutely 1 million percent would have lost this game last year. Simple as that. There's a lot that went right. Uh, actually, there's a lot that went wrong, went against them, Oklahoma, but I think there's a lot that they overcame to get to the position to win the game, uh, including the run defense, which the, both the defense, the BYU defense and the BYU offense threw some new schemes at them, and they had to adjust on the fly. Brent Venables was not happy with what he called the run fits by the linebackers. He's, he placed the 8, 9, 10, 12 yards of carry in the second half on the linebackers.
1: Yeah, and I think that we talked about this after the game, but probably a result of Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie not playing a ton of snaps the first half of the year. On top of that, Nane Stutzmo is 100%. So they believe they can fix that. I don't think it'll be a really big issue this week, not because, oh my gosh, they're going to go in and get that thing fixed, TCU runs the ball fine ish. TCU is a top 10 passing offense in the country. Oklahoma's weakness of their defense all year long has not been run fits. It's been the passing defense. I just don't think it's going to be as big of an issue this week, just because I think that TCU is going to be attacking through the air. So something they need to fix. Absolutely. Cause TCU can't have both sides cooking, right? You can't be successful on the ground and through the air and have a good game plan, but uh, I think it's something that they'll put that behind them and and, and kind of move on to uh, trying to shut down TCU for one final game here to get to ten wins before bowl season or a possible Big Twelve berth if if things break their way elsewhere in the Big Twelve.
0: Yeah, um, I, I do. I do think this team is a little different when it, they play different. Maybe I should say uh, when it comes to road games and and maybe those close losses at Kansas and OSU taught them a little bit of how to make plays at the end to win, despite not, uh, despite setting your field goal kicker up with a game winning field goal, go ahead, field goal. You're unable to do that. We won't beat that horse, that dead horse to death. Uh, but it's something that, um, you know, you're, you're 11 games into the season and you have bigger question marks at kicker than you've ever had. It's just bizarre. And, um, Brent Venables talked on uh, Monday this week because they had to push everything up a day. He talked about the um, field goal kicking. Just We just got to get better, he said. We just got to get better. Um, Gavin Gavin Marshall has been injured, he said, uh, all season. He's got a couple of extra points to his credit this season, but he's been largely injured. I don't know how backup kicker gets injured. What in the heck's going on there? But um, Zach Schmidt has been the guy. In practice and to which ryan i say i said we're not going to beat a dead horse but here we are uh he's been the best guy in practice he's he can't possibly be the best guy in games when when you're missing a 28 yarder and you're hit, hit from the right hash and missing it wide left they've got to come up with another solution um if if this game especially if this game is close and you've got a chance to win the big 12 championship you know what i mean They're the first ones up. They're the first ones out of the gate in this big 12 tiebreaker Derby. You've got to be able to win this game at all costs. And if that means running a second kicker out there to try a 26 yard field goal with uh, four minutes left in this, in the first quarter, then that's what you do. You can't put the same guy out there that has an obvious, obvious uh, confidence problem right now.
1: I think it's too little too late, honestly. Um, you can't go back and re-legislate the miss Lawrence or the miss in Stillwater. That miss in Stillwater looms massive. Mm-hmm. And I, I think to come back to something you said a, a second ago, I think the defense has made those plays late. Remember Ethan down should have won the game in Lawrence. Uh, the Billy Bowman interception should have won the game in Stillwater. It was down to the offense, turning the ball over uh, three times in both of those games and they turned the ball over zero times at BYU. So I think the offense is the one that kind of has to do that, but, Right now, in a weird way, Brett Mills hasn't said this, Zach Schmidt, everyone roll your eyes, he has been good on extra points, those are free points you can't give away, and I think it's almost like, if you make the change now, is that going to totally shatter Schmidt, and then maybe Reddy can't, uh, Mustafaraj can't hit the extra points, or, or if he's been that bad in practice, and then you screw up both things, like... Just let Zach Schmitt get the extra points and don't try to kick a field goal. I don't care. Unless you're in fourth and 20 from the 20-yard line, just do not kick a field goal ever again uh, until this season is done.
0: Now, you mentioned the the takeaways and the, and the turnovers. Um, yeah, Billy Bowman obviously saved the game, 100-yard pick six. The goal line defense, Randall had a cool story today about the Sooners' goal line defense and how it's just remarkable how many turnaways they've gotten this year. Uh, but you got Danny Stutzman with that the only sack in the last four games, and it was a strip sack, and it became uh, one of two fumble recoveries on the day. And we all know takeaways equal victory. Giveaways, in the case of this team, right, giveaways equal defeat, Ryan. In the two losses Oklahoma has had this year, they had six giveaways. In the nine wins they had, they have had so far, they have six giveaways. I mean, that tells it all. T- tells the whole story of this season. Six, you give them the football away, turned it over six times in nine games. You won those nine games. You turned it over six times in two games. You lost those two games back-to-back. And then defensively, 24 takeaways um, for the season. I think you're third in the country, fourth in the country in takeaways and turnover margin and all that kind of stuff. Second in the nation in interceptions, which really plays into this week, by the way. Because uh, TCU is a little loose with the football. But uh, including the four takeaways in those two losses, man, you've got 24 on the season. All you got to do if you're Oklahoma is hang on to the football.
1: Well, and it speaks to talking with Jeff Levy after the game, Jack Snorn. Like those guys talked a ton about hey, a-, a lot of their conversation throughout the second half on the sideline in Provo was just don't give the ball away. Like, the defense is going to come up with plays. They're going to give you chances. You've got enough skill position around you. The offensive line's playing well enough. Gavin Sawstruck's running the ball well enough. Just don't do the 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 big red button, the the nuclear blow-up that that really costs you. Keep an eye on the snap all the way. L- little stuff like that, because those were not Andrew Rame snap issues. That was just a, a young guy taking us out of the floor. Remember Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley's? First thing with the Caleb Williams package initially, well, he's got to catch the ball first off the yep. snap, and then everything else can go from there. Um, and that was huge. And, and Jack did take care of the ball. there. His two really great plays, uh, both to Farouk on the third and 13 and the third and eight, that ball was not in danger. He let Farouk go make a play. His wor- two worst throws of the day, where he got pretty nervous on that Nick Anderson, that was not in, in, in any danger being picked. When he missed that, you know, Tommy Walker in the flat, because there was a defender in his face, I think he got sped up for the first real time in college football. It wasn't like he threw it straight to the defender like we saw a veteran quarterback do in, what was that, 2011 in Columbia. That wasn't the thing. He didn't get happy feet. He was calm. He was collected. That would be huge for Friday if it is Jack Arnold. Uh, that's the one that has to give it a go. Just don't turn over the football. TCU is one of the worst teams in the country in turnover margin. Their defense doesn't force turnovers. Josh Hoover, the quarterback, not any relation to John Hoover that we know of. Uh, he, yeah. he throws three to five balls a game that not all of them are picked off, but they are dangerous balls that that the defense has a chance to make a play. He's not shown to be particularly mobile at this point um, as far as like taking off and running and hurting anybody that way. Hoover hasn't. So it, it should be a situation where Jack Snarl don't turn the ball over. Oklahoma defense, just do what you've done for 11 games and catch the ball when it's thrown to you. And, and Oklahoma should be fine in the turnover margin department on Friday.
0: We'll preview TCU more uh, in the second segment, but uh, I'll just give you this. Hoovers are typically good throwers and good climbers, not so much good runners.
1: Yeah, totally fair. Totally, And, <laughs> and in a weird way, Chapman's are the opposite because we're not good at anything. We just we show up. We're, we're really good. We're enforcers. We talk trash and we pick up yellow cards
0: for dissent. That's what hey, we do. You gotta have skills. You gotta you gotta use your play to your strengths, Ryan. Play to yeah, your strengths.
1: Bo- both my sister and I are known to mouth off to a referee here or there. So
0: yeah, yeah. Well, so have you ever been tossed out of a game? I have, and I wasn't uh, playing. I, I have been once, and it, it was not <laughs> my fault. Same. I was I was railroaded. Uh, okay, we talked about uh, quarterbacking. Let's talk real quick about I thought it was a good start by Gabriel at uh, BYU, but an even stronger finish by Jackson Arnold. Um, Gabriel was fantastic, 192 yards, two touchdowns at halftime. He got slammed to the turf, looked like he hit the back of his head. Hopefully he's okay. Um, hopefully this isn't something that lingers. But um, I think it's iffy, Ryan. I think it's iffy. Uh, last week he got hurt in the first half, I believe, against TCU. They ended up getting blown out. Maybe it was early second half. Now I can't remember. No, it was it was getting, mid-second quarter a year mid-second ago. Mid-second quarter. Hmm, sounds familiar. Um, So he missed the second half of that game. They got blown out. He missed the Texas game the following week. They got blown out. Um, this is a different deal. Jackson Arnold. I don't know how much of Jeff Lebby's playbook he has under his belt, so to speak. But I get the feeling if it's Jackson Arnold, if Gabriel can't go, if it's Jackson Arnold, I think they're going to give him a majority of what he likes and what he can he knows and, and can be good at and succeed at. But I don't think they're going to say, you know, going in, coming out of the week, going into a short week Friday, right? Uh, I don't think they're going to come out and say, okay, let's let's take these eight pages out of the playbook, and we're going to take these out, and we're going to – he's he can't do those – I think the kid is uh, showed last Saturday in Provo. I think he's special. I think he showed why he came to OU, and I think he showed why Jeff Lebby signed him. That late audible. Uh, so just just to clarify if, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Uh, third and uh, third and thirteen. He uh, that was not the audible. Correct. correct.
1: That was the one where the pocket was collapsing to his right. right. Slides he's over.
0: Lasers into Farouk makes a big-time throw across the middle to Farouk for a 16-yard completion on third and 13. The one that allowed them to kneel the game out and and run down the clock and win the game was third and eight. Does that sound right? Yes. Third and eight. He comes to the line. They have a call made that, again, correct me if I'm wrong, the call is if they if they show this, we're going to run it if they show that we're going to pass it and he gets up to the line and he sees what they're showing. And he says, okay, we're going to pass it. Third and eight. He don't care. Third and eight. He's not scared, right? He executes what's called. He didn't like change the play call. He didn't like Lebby didn't call a run play. And then Jackson Arnold comes up there and goes, screw that. I'm not running that play. I'm running something else. He gave him an option based on what the defense was showing and uh, Jackson Arnold through the third and eight to Farouk and first down, and they were able to kneel it out. But still, that's a big-time throw and a big-time read uh, and a, and a big-time play to win the game.
1: Yeah, and and I think the even bigger thing about that is Jackson Arnold did not mentally prepare this week knowing he was going to start, leading yep. up to BYU, that is. Jackson Arnold sat in the, in the same meetings where Jeff Levy was telling that exact call, if Oklahoma gets this look, you check into this play, and he's telling that to Dylan Gabriel and Davis Bevel and Jackson Arnold as they go through the game plan stuff. So it's a guy that clearly is – we've been told this. He's super attentive, engaged, all that stuff in the meetings, all that. But for you to go through the whole week and you give the – the—you know I prepare like I'm going to play every week because that's how you answer questions to the media. that That's just uh, media school 101, all the stuff. But to actually – absorb that and then in the moment the moment not be so big for him that he's like there's all this new stuff going on I totally forgot I was supposed to check into this pl- to to make that thing happen and then make that throw that was huge that was huge and so uh it, it wasn't like a, oh my gosh it, it wasn't the Caleb Williams in the second half of Texas with what he was doing there were some nervy moments right we mentioned the throw to Tawi Walker that was a dump off he didn't make the obvious one, the Nick Anderson. He wasn't perfect, and it's everything of why you've seen when you have a fifth-year guy, experience with Dylan Gabriel. That's why there was never a question, never wavered, that Gabriel's your guy all year long. But he's a five-star. And he played like a true freshman five-star who had to get tossed into the middle of a game in the second half. And that's why, on one hand, I really, really want to see Dylan Gabriel be able to have one more performance in Norman. The fans get to appreciate that. He deserves it. He's been massive for this transition period, but I also would be very excited to see a whole game of Jackson Arnold as the starter is kind of a little sneak peek into what 2024 will be uh, headed to the sec.
0: Yeah, for sure. Jackson Arnold four quarters would be a great preview for 2024. Um, I think that would, uh, I think that would be interesting if, if he's healthy enough, if he recovers from what we think might be some kind of concussion, some some grade level of concussion, possibly, we'll we'll see. Uh, if if Dylan Gabriel recovers enough to play, they've got one game left. Who knows what happens next weekend? Right, we're still waiting on all the tiebreakers to play out for to see if they're going to play on December second. Then there's a bowl game. What do you do at this point? You've already burned his red shirt now because frankly, you screwed around with the belldozer stuff and, and didn't let him play an actual game of quarterback uh, outside of Arkansas State, right? You, you, I, I think that was a massive mistake. I think that was short-sighted by, by Venables, by Levy and the, and the coaching staff to say, let's take this true freshman and run it. We've talked about this. Run him into the line and get him get some short yardage stuff. And uh, because we can't figure out how to how to get pick up uh, first downs in the run game, standard run game, traditional run game. So let's trick it up with our, our freshman quarterback. Oh, crap. Now he's beyond the redshirt limit, and we can't redshirt him like we wanted to because we goofed around early in the season and, play, and played him too much. Thought that was a massive mistake looking back on it. I said it at the time. I told you a million times, Ryan, don't use your freshman quarterback like that. You're going to get the hell beat out of him. Now that we're looking back on it on the in the scope or the lens of an entire season, I look back and I say, that was an absolute foolish mistake. But now that you've burned that red shirt, now that you're sitting here in this particular chair, let's see what Jackson Arnold can do. Run him out there in the first quarter. Run him out there in the second quarter. Get some packages specific for him that don't involve that belldozer stuff. He's not 6'6", 250 like Blake Bell was. Stop wishing that he was. But just see what he can do, get him out there in some pressure situations and see what he can do. Hopefully you have a lead against TCU. You know, you don't need him out there mopping up, but at the same time, I want to see what he can do in some pressure situations.
1: Yeah. I, he did the Arkansas state and the Tulsa game. He got to run the offense. That's two of them. I think they just persisted one game too long. I didn't have a problem initially with trying it. Cause the running game was not good at that point in the season. I think they just kept it one game too many the, the Arnold package which would have left you with he could have played four games and if Dilly Gabriel could get back you don't have to burn his red shirt this Friday if Dilly Gabriel can't play then you need Jackson Arnold you got to get to 10 wins all mm-hmm. that stuff and frankly if Jackson Arnold has to start for four years at Oklahoma he's not as good as advertised like you're you're in that era of quarterbacking that if he needs that red shirt he will not have been as good as advertised and the same thing that people were clamoring, whether it's right or wrong for Jack Stone to start over Dylan Gabriel to start this year. You would get the same clamor for Kevin Sperry three years from now. If he's coming back. So I, I truly don't think that's a, a huge to do. I, I, I just think it's this. If Dylan Gabriel is not cleared, which Brent Venable said he's tracking to be available this weekend. That was the update on Monday we can parse through weekend available does that mean playing football on friday you tell me uh but if gabriel can't go jackson Arnold should play on friday he should play the whole game if if oklahoma makes the big 12 championship game and gabriel's cleared it should be gabriel for four quarters you're playing for a championship if it's not a big 12 championship and it's the bowl game that becomes very interesting it's a conversation we can get into down the line but i think you let gabriel play as much as he wants and you hope you're in a situation where you're up and you can just hand Arnold the keys in the late third quarter, fourth quarter. But I, I think it's pretty cut and dry this weekend. If Gabriel's cleared and he can go, he's your guy, and you just hope for mop up duty for Arnold. If Gabriel can't go, then Jackson needs to play four great quarters to beat TCU.
0: And if he can go and you get to fifty two to nothing in the fourth quarter, you roll Davis Bevel out. Sure, it's senior day for him too. I guess is that. I, I it, have
1: I not even so, taken no. the time to count Davis Bevel's Sorry, Davis.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was on that list that we got. Let me let – me, actually, let me check that list. Let's just double it right check here. it while we've got it up. But Yeah, he's, he's not on that list. I'll give you the list of guys that they're counting on this being their final season. Rondell Bothroyd, Isaiah Coe, Jordan Kelly, Jonah Laulu, McCade Matoyer, Phil Paya, Reggie Pearson, Walter Rouse, Caleb Schaefer, Austin Stogner, Drake Stoops, Marcus Stripling. Subject – to change
1: that is the guys that no matter what they do not have another year of eligibility. Okay, that that's what okay. that is. So there may be guys that opt to not take their last year. Yep. There may be guys that declare early. There may be guys that portal. But that was the list of names that whatever they want to do, they can't come back and play another year because of all the COVID super senior. D- mm. d-
0: and we talked about Ko. Co was confusing to me because Co played one year at JUCO, then sat out twenty twenty, then played at OU for three years, which means he should have that twenty twenty season back. But I don't, I'm,
1: I don't think with the JUCO season being canceled, I don't think it counted the same. because like if that wasn't like an opt out thing; that was just like the JUCO, decision.
0: like his clock had didn't technically start or something. Yeah,
1: it it JUCO it's it's different than if he were not at a JUCO. Yeah. I think basically in twenty twenty.
0: He's been good this year. I think they'd like to have him back in 2024, but uh, we'll see. He looks like an SEC defensive tackle, doesn't he?
1: Well, they they need guys that weren't on that list. They need to convince DeSean Terry. That's a big recruitment job to, to get him to come back next year. Jacob Lacy's a big recruitment job to make sure that he's locked in and wants to come back and play another year of football. And that's of the senior group. Then obviously there's like the Danny Stutzmans, the Billy Bowmans, that do you want to can, can you convince Tyler Guyton to come back so you can have Sexton and Guyton? There's a lot of those pretty interesting cases that we'll dive into probably next week as, as you kind of preview the off season mm-hmm. uh and bowl season and all that stuff. But and uh, the portal season. Portal yeah. season
0: comes up right after the championship game. So yep. All right. Uh we'll do that next week. We'll do that on future podcasts. Right now, coming up on the next segment, we're going to preview, we're going to dive into a preview of the TCU game. That's all next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond, or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day, and the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Hey, if you guys are on Twitter, just give us a follow at all underscore Sooners. You can find my account. At, uh, all at, uh, John e. Hoover. And you can find Ryan at underscore Ryan Chapman. I recommend you give everybody a follow because our work goes straight from our fingertips to the website, from the website to Twitter. So if you're sorry, X, x.com, uh, follow Ross at Ross Lovelace on Twitter. I said Twitter. What are you going to do about it? Call, Elon, <laughs> not, call your not, buddy Elon?
1: Not a thing. Not a thing. You got to follow Ross. You got to follow Randall.
0: Randall is at Randall Suite 5 Follow him as he is all over this recruiting bait. Man, it's crazy on the recruiting beat. Uh, the website, of course, where you can find all of our work throughout the week, throughout the season, throughout the year, allsooners.com. FanNation affiliate, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. And it is all free. No signups, no emails, no passwords, no credit cards. Everything we do is right there on the website. Free for you, free for me. This segment of the All Sooners Podcast is presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Question, how much of your retirement savings are you willing to lose? Hmm? All of it, some of it, or you prefer not to lose any of it? If you're nearing retirement or if you're already in retirement, I can tell you the math and the science studies have proven that a few bad market years could wipe away the kind of retirement that you dreamed of, but there's a way to safely grow your money and not have any market risk. All you got to do... To turn your life savings into guaranteed lifetime income is get with Infinite Asset Advisors. Not only do they help plan for retirement, but they also show you how to become debt-free before you get there. They are experts in financial planning, retirement planning, and even estate planning. I'm going to look into that one myself because uh, you need to do that. You can visit the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com, to learn more or just email team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or call 512-710-0130. All right, Ryan. uh, Story I wrote from, gosh, yesterday. Pro Football Focus. Was that this morning? No, it was yesterday.
1: I think it was yesterday. It was slotted conditionally for yesterday evening, though we have all napped and all that. Yeah
0: it's been a crazy couple of days getting back from Utah and then Brent moved up the press conference to Monday. So you literally have zero days of, t- of turnaround transition. You get off the plane and the next day, the next morning you're in Norman, which for me, that's a big deal because I live in Tulsa. So, uh, yeah, my days are running together. It's like, everything is just compressed. Um, I'll just say this: the the numbers I came up with when I when I do my pro football focus and NCA stats and red shirt report, uh, we go over what the Oklahoma defense is, what the Oklahoma offense is, um, in in various NCA rankings, and I want to go over these a couple times with you. They're 64th in yards allowed, 378 yards allowed per game. They're 77th in passing yards allowed, 233 basically. 57th in rushing yards allowed, 145 rushing yards per game after that performance at uh, at Provo. 29th, down to 29th in points allowed per game, 20.2 points per game. Pass efficiency defense, they're 12th. 12th is really good because you're getting a lot of interceptions, but they're giving up chunks and chunks and chunks of yards in the run game, in the pass game, and both. So here's where Oklahoma has thrived this year, and here's where the biggest improvements – since last year have really kind of manifested, Ryan. And that is they're number two nationally in takeaways, number three in turnover margin. They're number two in interceptions in the nation. Uh, And they're number two in block punts still. They blocked a couple of punts early. So they're getting those big plays. They're getting some important plays, some, you know, 100-yard pick sixes at the right time and stuff like that. They're 10th nationally in third down percentage on, uh, on defense. Third down conversion, 10th in the country, and 22nd in red zone defense. Those are all like the most important categories for a defense. They're giving up yards. And I hate to say it because that never, you can go back to the old 70s Dolphins. Bend but don't break. Bend but don't break. How about don't bend? How about if you can do it in the red zone, if you can do it on the goal line, do it at the 50, do it at the 30, you know? But um, that's where Oklahoma is. They're giving up chunks of yardage. They're giving up. Uh, deep throws they're giving up long runs but they're not giving up a ton of points and they're not they're they're turning people back they're getting the football out they're turning those into points that's where this team has really thrived
1: yeah and it feels like that the biggest uh, obviously year 2 in the system guys are more comfortable that's probably the biggest thing but you look for the last 5 6 years it was always this like early in the season the defense would look like it's better Then there would be one game where stuff starts going sideways really early and it would snowball and there was no recovery and the defense was a horror show for the entire rest of the season. This year, Oklahoma, they're giving up the yards. As you said, all those stats illustrate that. But if they can get teams into a third and medium or long, if they can rally and have a big play on a first or second down, they usually get off the field. If teams bow up in the red zone, Why is Oklahoma State throwing in the red zone? Why is West Virginia throwing on the goal line? Why is BYU in a spot where they're throwing a pick six? Because teams saw what happened against uh, Texas. They saw what happened against UCF. And they respect that you're probably not going to be able to consistently run on this team on the goal line when they know a run's coming at them. And so I think you're seeing the mentality, like that grit that Brent Venables has as as a guy, right? That's where it's manifested this year. The team taking over the personality of their head coach defensively that is where that's happened and as things get better recruiting wise all that stuff I know Brent Venables highlighted the linebackers for the run fits and that's exactly right but also, if you have like a David Stone quality guy on the interior, on one of those plays, he probably blows somebody up three years from now to the point where it doesn't matter if the linebacker run fit behind him is perfect or not because he's erasing that, right? That, that's what Alabama's defensive line has done for years. That's what Georgia's defensive line is right now. Like Jordan Davis erases that you don't have to be perfect as a linebacker if Jordan Davis is in front of you, right? Like that's how that works. Oh, you're still a few years off from that. They got to recruit and develop and then recruit another class and develop another class along the defensive line. But they're moving in the right direction, and it feels like everyone wrote the story. We did it as well. I think I wrote it when Brent was hired. The defensive improvement at Clemson. What does that track look like? Well, year one, it was marginal improvement. Year two, they jumped to the top 25. Year three and on, they were never out of the top 10 as far as total defense goes and all that stuff. Brent this summer at Big Tom Media admitted that Clemson probably a little bit farther ahead with roster he inherited. Last year was year zero. This year is year one of that exact transition that happened at Clemson. They're jumping forward. It's not perfect, but they're improving the most in the most important categories. If PJ Adabore can come along, if Armason Thomas can come along, you get another year to DeJohn Terry and Jacob Lacey, and you start to work in some of those five-star guys, maybe that's where get Danny Stutzman and Billy Bowman back to start to build the spine of your defense around that. That's where you would hope that they can take another leap next offseason season. And shore up some of the chunk plays in the run game, and certainly the passing, which is, I think, is much about the fact that they haven't had a consistent corner opposite of Woody Washington than, than anything else all season long, just because of injuries being banged up, rotating door.
0: Yeah, and we don't know exactly what um, what Gentry Williams' status is. He was there at BYU, didn't play, um, so he'll be he'll be uh, he's kind of on the mend. You know, they're trying to get him ready. That shoulder peak keeps popping in and out. I guess. Uh, he would be a good one to have against a, an offense like TCU, Ryan, because you mentioned him at, uh, in the previous segment. Josh Hoover is uh, is slinging the ball all over the place. I looked up his numbers. He's got two 400-yard games to go with two 300-yard games, a guy who has limited starting experience, right? So uh, he's replaced our old buddy Chandler Morris, who went out earlier in the season with an MCL. Um, Josh Hoover and his receivers, here's the deal with his receivers. I don't think there's any like ninjas out there. Right. But I counted it up. They've got three guys who have over or right at 500 yards receiving for the season three. Okay. That's, that's a pretty good number. They've got 11 guys who have caught passes for more than hundred yards receiving this year, which tells you, you can't plan on one guy or another, you know, shut him down, put this guy on him, anything like that. They spread the football around and they get, get the ball to a lot of different playmakers in that offense. By the way, I think they're one of the uh, nation's most up-tempo offenses. They're 124th in the country, 127th in time of possession.
1: Yeah. What Can you define what a ninja would do as a wide receiver?
0: Um, Malcolm Kelly was a ninja. Okay. Yeah. Ryan Broyles was a ninja. Okay. Sterling Shepard was like a a five-star ninja. He was unbelievable.
1: Just, first off, silent. They will uh, they'll sneak up behind you. They've got a shrook in that they can throw across the field. No. Uh, they, they've they got really big bodies. It's what you'd expect at TCU, right? They've got a, a mix of speed, some bigger bodies. You mix in the tempo. It's going to be tough. I think there's going to be a ton of points in this game. I don't think Oklahoma's going to suddenly limit the yardage. I don't think Oklahoma's suddenly going to limit the, like, uh, points, not like 50 points, stuff like that. I think it's going to come down to – Uh, What we haven't seen from Josh Hoover is he hasn't taken the ball and really hurt defenses with his legs. If things break down, he's more apt if he's getting some pressure just to throw it up there to anybody. Uh, So it's going to be about can Oklahoma get like a second down sack to put TCU into third and 15 and get off the field. Can Oklahoma catch the balls that come to him? There's going to be opportunities. Can you, if, if you just get bodied up and sealed off by a bigger receiver, can you tackle that guy immediately? Or does it, turn into a broken tackle and Billy Bowman's running somebody down. Like, I think that's going to be the key because then when you look at it, it's weird. TCU strengths match up with Oklahoma's weaknesses defensively. The deficiencies of the TCU offense also match up with what Oklahoma is strong with though, because TCU's 120th in the country in turnover margin. A lot of that has to do with the fact that their defense doesn't really force turnovers and Hoover's throwing the ball for a while there was about two picks a game. Um, even that BYU breakout performance was four touchdowns, two picks. The other thing that TCU is really low at is red zone offense. They, they get to the red zone and cause their run game is so, so uh, they've had some trouble punching it in. If you remember all the way back, that's what cost them that Colorado game way, way, way back when is they could move the ball down to the red zone. And then, then it was Chandler throwing interception couldn't execute on the goal line. What did we just talk about? What could Oklahoma do? Turn the ball over. What does Oklahoma do? They bow up on third down. They bow up in the red zone. So whoever's strength wins bigger, does that make sense? That if if Oklahoma gets three interceptions and that strength wins out, Oklahoma's going to be really comfortable. If TCU's breaking tackles and they throw for 400 yards, Oklahoma only gets
0: one pick, TCU might damn well win the football game. Yeah, 124th in time of possession, 120th, as you mentioned, in turnover margin, uh, 118th in interceptions thrown. Again, OU is second in the nation in defensive interceptions and uh, red zone offense, red zone scoring percentage, they're 127th, whereas that's been one of Oklahoma's strengths, as I mentioned. Uh, Hoover threw seven interceptions in a five-game stretch, uh, did not throw a pick last week against Baylor, but uh, they've been blown out a couple times. And they've had a couple of blowouts. They blew out BYU 44-11. They blew up Baylor 42-17. They've had some close losses, a um, couple of one-score losses, um, lost, to BYU, lost to Virginia, uh, sorry, West Virginia uh, and Iowa State back-to-back weeks by a grand total of 13 points, I think. Anyway, um, the, the, they've got – it's TCU. They've just – they just went to the national championship game, right? I mean, wow. clearly this team yes. has talent. This team has players. They've got an All-American uh, type guy, preseason All-American on defense, Josh Newton, uh, defensive back. Four seniors total, Ryan, uh, on this roster. Four, on. The, I'm sorry, uh, in the starting lineup. Four seniors total in the defensive starting lineup, but three of those are in the secondary. So they're young up front, they're green around the I don't want to say green around the gills. That's not right. Green around the gills means you're getting ready to hurl. Uh, <laughs> they're they're or, green in the front seven. There's a lot of green in, in the front, front seven. seven. Thank you very much, yes. Uh, but yeah. that's their defense.
1: They, this isn't the team that went to the national championship, though. That that that's was right. a team that had five bajillion super seniors, and Sonny yeah. Dykes did a great job. Great, great job with that unit. Um, and they had some playmakers. They had a ton of playmakers, and the big twelve was also a little down, and Michigan didn't scout them to steal their signs. Uh, like <laughs> they they it was one of the luckiest stars and Lions seasons in like the history of college football. like yeah. and all you' still gotta go and win the football games, and that's yeah. all credit to TCU. They hung zero banners last year. They didn't win a big twelve. They didn't win a national championship and everybody graduated out. This is back to the up-and-down roller coaster where they've got some good skill position players. I don't think they're good on either line of scrimmage. Uh, Hoover, if he comes out and is locked in, and we've seen Oklahoma has traditionally made everyone's quarterback uh, in the Big 12 era look like a Heisman Trophy candidate, that's on the table on Saturday if they just don't get the interceptions. Uh, We just haven't seen that too often. Really, it was what, UCF, the game, that they didn't really get the turnover machine rolling and, and you saw that that was a two point conversion defended away from probably going to overtime.
0: We didn't even mention uh, arguably their best player on offense Amani Bailey is a thousand yard running back already. So um they do have players. They do got some guys who are capable uh, more than 90 career starts on the offensive line, by the way. And th- those are starts just at TCU. Two of their starters were transfers uh, this year who started previously at their other schools. So, They've, the offensive line, fairly impressive. Running game, fairly impressive. Quarterback can sling it all over, can put up big numbers. They run tempo, uh, a lot of tempo, and high, high tempo. And they've got, like I said earlier, receivers everywhere. They spread it out to everybody. So this is a, a five and six. They're five and six with a, bunch of, a handful of one-score losses. Uh, kind of reminds me of Oklahoma last year.
1: And you've seen the pendulum of one-score game swing, right? A TCU yes. team that was excellent in one-score games last year has been really bad in them this year. An Oklahoma yep. team that was really just putrid in one-score games last year has been pretty good outside of uh, Kansas-Noah OSU. The thing I'm really, really interested in is if it is Jackson Arnold, uh, there is going to be a lot more pressure on him, the invisible pressure of what the other offense is doing in this game than I think even a week ago. I know he came into the game it was tied, but as we mentioned – Oh, you got that first stop, and then he was never playing from behind because of that Billy Bowman picked six. Yep. There's a chance that, that Jackson Arnold could be playing from behind. Not like, oh my gosh, you're down 21 to three, but like it could be 10 to nothing, 10 to seven, stuff like that if TCU moves the ball early. And so it's the defense has got to play well, whether Dylan Gabriel's coming back in or it's Jackson Arnold, the, the defense needs to play well, especially early. Do not give this TCU team hope because I, I think that you'll see it in our picks later this week. I think it's going to be a pretty close high-scoring football game. Uh,
0: a couple of names you guys will be familiar with. Jamarcus McFarland coaches their D-line, former Sooner. Yeah. Malcolm Kelly coaches their wide receivers, former Sooner. I already mentioned him once this time. So, uh, so that's always fun to see those guys come back to Owen Field and uh, look around and see the looks on their faces. It's always fun to see those guys get to come back home, even if they're the opposing coach opposing team. Um, Emmett Jones has done an unbelievable job recruiting, especially as well as developing those wideouts. But man, I think a lot of people wanted Malcolm Kelly to be the next Sooners wide receiver coach last year.
1: Yeah, for sure. It would have made the Malcolm Kelly rap slap just a bit different as they head back to the (laughs) locker room, all that stuff. But I think Emmett Jones has done a really good job and uh, it'll be interesting to see. He's got a big class of guys coming in. Uh, He's got that history as a developer. I'm excited to see what Emmett Jones can be from like point one all the way through the end of a career when you're recruiting guys at the caliber that you can kind of recruit at Oklahoma?
0: Man, Nebraska Cornhuskers, they diminished.
1: So diminished. They are <laughs> so, so diminished. Although, they're two-point favorites this weekend against Iowa. So let, let's oh, yeah? see let's see if they can get back to bowl eligi- eligibility, a place that they never had to worry about when Malcolm Riley was rapping about beating them in a Big 12 championship game.
0: That's right. Um, So two-point favorite, they're picking, like, a seven to five score probably
1: yeah well, it's it like so it's sitting at 26 so would that 26. be third 16 to 10 <laughs> somewhere <laughs> is, that, is that what they're picking <laughs>
0: 16 14 no see that's too much i yeah. know
1: it's like are they are they literally picking it to be you taking uh, the over this time 15 15 to 10 they want
0: the safety <laughs> wow yeah it's entirely possible the, the total and the spread don't match. Nope, they don't. Speaking of which, Ryan, if we're going to project, let's project some Big 12 tiebreaker scenarios while we, before we finish this segment up. Tiebreaker scenarios are as follows, you guys. Oh, boy. Buckle up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the tiebreaker scenarios. No, here's no, I'm the you
1: We've had Ewoks this week uh, from me. <laughs> And I think that you went full Gungan there. Uh, we, we are really just rolling through the Rolodex of, of Star Wars uh, peripher- periphery species to, to make all of our noises and celebrations this week.
0: Yeah, mine was more One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Because <laughs> uh, the are crazy.
1: Yeah, I'm still in Ewok mode from uh, saving our good friend Eli Letterman's uh, AirPods on Monday. Oh yeah, that was that, awesome. I don't know if that story ever made it out anywhere, but uh, and then I, for me, I just always think that was like classic Jar Jar Biggs guff.
0: <laughs> that was good. That was good. Yes, that one too. So here's the tiebreaker scenarios. Uh, obviously, we're talking if Oklahoma beats TCU. If Oklahoma doesn't beat TCU, believe it or not, they're not out of it. But your opportunities to win that game go from, uh, or to get in, go from something like 24% to 0.01% if you lose. So we're operating under the presumption that Oklahoma's going to win Friday against TCU. If that happens, Texas wins and they're in, they've got Texas Tech on Friday night. There are, uh, last I looked, like a 14, 13 and a half point favorite, Texas is. Uh, the other scenario is, OSU wins Saturday. They've got BYU and Stillwater. They're a 17-point favorite. They're in. OS- Texas wins, they're in. OSU wins, they're in. If OSU loses, and we're, OU, we're still saying OU beats TCU, if OSU loses, OU gets the spot opposite Texas. If Texas loses and OSU, I think, wins, yeah, OSU wins, then everything becomes convoluted and you're talking about records against this team and percentages against that team and it's head-to-head versus not head-to-head and these teams played and those teams didn't play. It's jacked up. Thank you, Big 12, for having 14 teams in a conference where it used to be round robin and everything used to be straightforward. Now it's not. Um, Hey, look at it this way. Win or lose, (laughs) at least you're not Texas A&M. (laughs) <laughs> Amen to that.
2: Amen to that. Straight.
1: You're not having to do that. Yeah. It's uh, the, the cleanest. I, I just don't think it's super likely uh, this past weekend was the weekend, right? I think I would say it's a great deal better than Texas tech. Um, obviously when Oklahoma state, I like, I think I would, I like to not think about if BYU or Houston's the better football team. Cause I would like to pick neither, but when Oklahoma state goes and digs the early hole on the road at Houston, if Oklahoma State was going to lose, it feels like that needed mm-hmm. to be the one for the Cowboys to drop. And they did a great job of just plugging away, saying nobody freak out, carrying on. So it, it feels like I, the cleanest way is Texas to win, OSU to lose to BYU. I just I don't think that BYU is going to be able to circle the wagons two weeks in a row. They've been a different team at home, going on the road. Mm-hmm. Texas Tech's playing better. I I just think that Texas is a different animal this year. I I don't know if that means that Sark is going to have that thing fixed and this is going to be the Texas product we get for a decade, but that group feels different than even the Tom Herman 2018 Texas team that made it to Arlington. There's a bit more grit. It feels a bit more real along the lines of scrimmage for this Texas team, all that stuff. So at the end of the day, it's not all hope is lost. The viewing guide quickly flips to who've, Oklahoma needs to get to about 11 to make the New Year's Six. They were at 13 last night. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of options for that. Um, if Kentucky upsets Louisville, Oklahoma's probably in really good shape for a New Year's Six bowl game. Maybe if Florida, they also don't have their starter against Florida State. If they're able to win that thing, then Florida State beats Louisville. That knocks them out of there. Uh, Michigan State upsetting Penn State, not super likely, but it's in uh, East Lansing. Uh, Missouri has to travel to Fayetteville to play Arkansas. And, and then what Oklahoma can't have, like if OSU wins the big 12 championship game, then OSU and Texas are New Year's six. Sorry, Oklahoma, we'll probably head to the Alamo bowl. Maybe you could fall to the pop tart Bowl if Texas falls all the way out. But if, if Texas and OSU win, then Oklahoma fans just need to swallow the pill root for Texas in the big 12 championship game. Because there are a few pathways where, like at that point, it becomes the worst case scenario as you head to the Alamo Bowl, which is not the worst thing in the world to go to an Alamo Bowl at ten and two
0: if Oklahoma beats TCU. Yeah, that's that's well said. Your your viewing is is as such uh, after Oklahoma if they if they win and beat TCU, you watch the Texas game. You root for Texas Tech. Next day, you watch the OSU game. You root for BYU. If both of those go against you then you're hoping for some chaos somewhere else, like Ryan said, so you can get into a better bowl game. Be 10-2 and and get into a better bowl game. Uh, And like I said, at least you're not Texas A&M looking for a new coach with the most overrated program ever, all time. Um, Next year, Ryan, this time we'll be looking at – we'll be coming off of road trips to Auburn, LSU, Missouri, and Ole Miss. None of those look like Provo. No. No, they do not. But Ryan's going to
1: be in Atlanta, which means that the the season is worth it. Because newsflash, we're going to Atlanta and then working back toward Auburn. That's what's happening.
0: That's fair. We'll do that. Um, I looked it up. The next time OU goes out west, San Diego State 2029. So y'all enjoy those SEC trips. That's all I got.
1: It, uh, it's what a fun it was- trip, man. It was a really fun trip. I really loved Provo. I like Salt Lake City. Um, I It was one of those things that I think I, when I cl- travel, I, I guess I'm just weird. I classify trips and like, if you offered me to move here tomorrow, would I be like, yes? I don't think I would for Salt Lake or Provo, but I would visit a couple of times a great deal. I really, really enjoyed it. Great people, really clean. Like I said, maybe Oklahoma and BYU could could get on the schedule if the SEC decides to remain at eight games in the long run, um, that opens up – you need that you know, Power 5 non-conference game. It will open up some flexibility for Oklahoma to have non-conference games. BYU should have some flexibility because um, they, they had just a different scheduling model as an independent, you know what I mean? And so that I, I would enjoy that. That would be a ton of fun. But, uh, yeah, it, Provo is awesome. You trade Provo for a yearly trip to either Death Valley – Tuscaloosa between the hedges, the swamp, Neyland college station, Kyle field out there. You, you trade that trip for, uh, to know every year you're going to get one of those.
0: Yeah. And the way the big 12 schedules, you wouldn't have gotten Provo every other year anyway. So exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, but it's too bad. Hopefully Josie um, had a great time out there. I think he did. Uh, I saw him briefly um, after the game. But my guess is the fan base, the OU club of Salt Lake City, OU club of Utah, you know, uh, I think that the report is that everybody had such an unbelievable time. There was so much uh, hospitality shared. Uh, BYU fans love, for some reason, OU fans, right? OU fans, kind and, and warm and welcoming and... Um, Colby Claussen told me that story about when he, he said, after I hurt Sam Bradford, my wife was walking in the parking lot and she had my Jersey on. And I was like, Oh no. And he goes, no, no, it was good. He said, she said, everybody at at, all the OU fans were just super nice to her. So there's this mutual respect that exists. I don't know where it came from. Maybe it came from the Barry Switzer uh, sewage treatment facility, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I told you guys that was the thing. Y'all didn't believe me, but it was. Um, But Anyway.
1: You got to get a home and home on the schedule too, because that would give Oklahoma the chance to go three and two all time against BYU. Yeah, they got to clean that up.
0: Anyway, but, they did—they did get their first win ever against the only team that they've played more than once and not beaten. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you, you got to get that, but also I'm not sure if Oklahoma quarterbacks would enjoy seeing BYU on the schedule. At least, the oh start. gosh, that's it exactly what worst. I thought. Yeah,
0: they—they <laughs> they might have to upgrade the offensive line next time they play BYU. Anyway. Ryan, thanks. Good stuff, man. Absolutely. And uh, if you missed it, Porter
1: Moser had a lot of great stuff about Thanksgiving, but also about the team and the upcoming trip to San Diego. So that's all on allsooners.com is we'll know a lot more about Oklahoma basketball and what that operation might be this year when we, reconvene next Wednesday just as they're going to play an Iowa team that everyone knows the Fran McCaffrey experience and what that brings to the table And then either uh, SC's in the top 25 Seton Hall's a really respectable uh, non-power five team as well so regardless of how the bracket or any of that works out out in San Diego on Thursday and Friday should learn a great deal about OU basketball then they've got the game against Providence coming up here in a couple weeks as well so we'll figure out what what Porter Moser's crew is all about over the next month
0: also, women's basketball rolling right along. Went to last at, week and got a got a big win. So
1: yeah, big win at Virginia. They've got a couple of big ones up pretty soon. They've got Tennessee. They've got the Jumpman Invitational. They'll play North Carolina, as will the men. So mm-hmm. the OU women, uh, Jenny Bronchek talked about before the season. They've got a really tough non-conference schedule, and they're halfway through that sucker unscathed without Liz Scott. So so really good stuff from them as well. Yep, good stuff, man. Thanks. Absolutely. We'll see. And Scout Scout has just realized she's agreed to do a turkey trot tomorrow morning. So we've got to get some some difference.
0: All right. Hey, this segment of the All Sooners Podcast was presented by Infinite Asset Advisors. Go to infiniteassetadvisors.com to learn how you can get debt-free and begin real retirement planning right now. If I were you, I would not wait to do this because whether it's retirement, private banking, family asset protection, estate planning, living trusts. Just let Corey and his team take a look at your portfolio. They'll get you on the way to taking control of your financial future. Call 512-710-0130 or email them at team at infiniteassetadvisors.com or just check out the website, infiniteassetadvisors.com. Coming up next, Randall's jumping in. We're going to hit recruiting. All that's next on the All Sooners podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman, or a car dealership in Oklahoma City, or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise, and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Okay, guys, final segment of the All Sooners podcast, which I will remind you again, drop us a nice rating, like the podcast, give us a five-star rating. That would be awesome. Please. Uh, like us and share us on social media. That helps a lot. If you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, and leave a comment, please. Again, those are very helpful, and we appreciate those who uh, who comment and get the word out. Uh, the YouTube channel is growing. The social media influence and impact is growing. The presence is growing. We've got we to keep it up. We've got to keep the pressure up. As many times as you can get our name out there, we appreciate it. Um, let's bring Randall in to talk some recruiting Right after we talk, Randall in Utah. You, sh- you guys should have seen Randall operating in Utah. Uh, his first trip out there, and uh, he was uh, he was on it. He was uh, enjoying life right up until the end of the last night in Utah, right before we had to get on an airplane, when I think the altitude and some dehydration got the best of you. But, uh, man, you look like you were having, like, the time of your life up to then.
2: Yeah, I mean, that was – one of the most fun trips I've ever taken. Definitely. I think the best trip of the year, uh, for all Sooners. I mean, it was beautiful out there. I mean, I, I heard it was amazing, but seeing it in person, it was better than I could have even imagined from what I heard. Uh, I had a great time up in the mountains. Uh, it was nice and brisk, but not, uh, not too cold, you know, like it was, it was doable. Uh, we got some great food in Utah that, that was a lot of fun. Got to meet some, uh, Phoenix suns coaching staff members or you did. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, so uh, again, all around great people, great scenery. I didn't get to try one of the Cougar Tales or that uh, BYU ice cream that everyone was talking about. So we'll have to go back again sometime for that. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I, like you said, up until uh, I was feeling pretty woozy that last night, it was, a, it was a fantastic trip.
0: Yeah, what's with the BYU Creamery? We hear nothing but BYU Creamery all week and then game, co- game time comes and we got nothing. What's up with that? We got a lot of cookies and, and like
2: cupcakes and muffins in the uh, press box, but no ice cream. I did see that uh, the uh, visiting fans got ice cream again, which is yes, did. Part of the tradition. So maybe if we could extend that tradition to visiting media members as well, that would be much appreciated. But that might be the only complaint I have about our trip. That stadium, it's got to be the most beautiful stadium in college or stadium setting in college football, right? I mean, how can anything top that after seeing it in person?
0: Yeah. And, and you get a little snow on those mountains back there. Yeah. It's even better. I, I haven't been there for snow games, but uh, you see it on TV, and it's just phenomenal. Uh, I'll, I'll pull back the curtain for you guys a little bit. We flew out, uh, Ryan and I flew out Thursday morning, and uh, Randall came out Thursday night. But um, we spent a full day Thursday basically going up to Park City and looking around and meeting people and talking to people about various things. Found a new follow on Instagram. I stepped in an art gallery and was just blown away by the art. So uh, as a photography, nature photography art gallery, so we kind of just, just we were tourists for a couple of days, and then Friday we get up, um, which Friday is usual, usually, for a sports writer, Friday is usually your travel day, well, we went out a day early, spent a little extra money, spent a little extra time, it was fun, I'm glad we did that, and I'm glad these guys had that experience, but Friday was the big day, uh, what did we do Friday, Randall, I'm trying to remember, we went, with, okay, so the first thing we did was we drove around downtown looking for the Mormon Tabernacle, yep, and that was like all scaffolded up under construction, so we didn't see hardly anything. We drove up to the Capitol, snapped beautiful. a couple yeah. of photos.
2: Yeah, the, the leaves were real pretty. Uh, Capitol building looked beautiful. beautiful. Yeah, uh, we we drove we drove to Provo after that, and we stopped to hike. Remember?
0: Yeah, the Provo Canyon.
2: Yeah, the I can't remember what the mountain itself was called, but that was really beautiful. We saw someone fly fishing. I think that was. Uh, yep, dude was, was out there
0: fly fishing in Provo Canyon Park. Uh, the we we, we saw uh
2: bridal veil falls in provo canyon that was phenomenal i had to facetime my mom while we were there it was that cool i had to FaceTime (laughs) my mom to show her while we were there and then we drove into town and the first place we stopped was the state oh oh we we did go to sundance too oh we drove
0: that's right we drove up the up the um highway a little bit about four or five miles and sundance was right there i forgot about that yeah we got out and had lunch at sundance yeah Film festival, the, origin, the original film festival place, all kinds of uh, Robert Redford memorabilia and, and other actors as well. It was really cool.
2: Really Met some OU good. fans in the gift shop.
0: Yeah, met some OU
2: fans. Shout out OU fans in the gift shop. Uh, some, that was some cool. OU fans not too far from where I'm from, up in uh, West Texas.
0: Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, so from there, we drove back into Provo, and the first place we stopped was the stadium. And we thought, hey, let's go check it out. Sucker was wide open. Come on in, you guys. Come in, take your pictures, and walk around. Stay off the field, but uh, everything else is wide open. It was a phenomenal. What exactly. great hospitality
2: those people, uh, those people in Provo show you. And the view is fantastic. If, if anyone tells you the view is amazing, they're not lying. It is second to none.
0: Yeah. So we 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 made one more stop off of that. You know those mountains that you guys see in the background of the of the BYU stadium, the the main view that you're looking at from the press box. There's these two. There's these mountains that kind of come together like this. We hiked a canyon that went up between the mountains, the Wasatch um, mountains, mountains, I believe. And uh, got some, yeah, got some amazing photos and saw some yeah. dudes rock climbing. That was cool. So we made the most of it, uh, knowing that this was going to be the literally the only time that OU ever goes out there, unless they Josie hooks us up with a home and home at some point in the future. Um, that that's was fun. it. I mean, I've been wanting BYU in the Big Twelve for a long time, and that's
2: why, guys. Glad we finally got it.
0: Yep. All right, you want to talk some recruiting?
2: Yeah, let's do it.
0: We've already bro- we've already broken down the game as as many different ways as you can. We've broken down the TCU game as many different ways as you can. So Randall's going to help us out with the recruiting angle. Uh, sounds like uh, we'll just lead off with the lead here. It sounds like that uh, things have turned kind of south on their priority offensive lineman that they've been really recruiting hard the last few months.
2: Yeah. So Grant Bricks, a uh, guy that we've said kind of was going between Oklahoma and Nebraska back and forth uh, from everything that I'm hearing right now, it's not looking great for the Sooners. Um, I, I don't want to necessarily say that this is the end all be all that it's all hope is lost because uh, I've heard at other points in this recruitment that things don't look good for you, but being so close to signing day, uh, this, you know, after Grant Brick has already been to Norman pretty recently saw a win. I mean, if a game like that, is not going to you know, convince Bricks that he wants to leave home, that he wants to be farther away than Lincoln, Nebraska, then it's going to be a hard, uh, a tall task in general. Um, and again, nothing is for certain yet, but at the moment it appears like Grant Bricks is probably leaning towards Nebraska. Again, we'll probably know more. We probably won't know anything more about that until signing day. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't even be surprising if there's no announcement or anything made until signing day. Uh, that just seems like kind of his style, very low key uh, guys, stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, from, from right now, it seems like, uh, Bill Biedenbo has missed out on the last two offensive linemen he's targeted in this class being Eddie Pierre-Louis and now Grant Bricks, uh, if that holds true.
0: Yeah. So where, where does, uh, Oklahoma turn? We, we talked before we started recording about who they've got. They've got Isosa, Akankumi, Brooks, and Autry, and they're probably going to dive heavily into the portal. Is there any other, um, any other guys on the horizon, Randall, that, might. Um, might Bill Biedenboe might turn to recruiting-wise that are currently in high school, any prospects in high school?
2: Yeah, so uh, I think look really close down in the DFW area, Prosper, Texas. So Connor Cardi, I believe, is a 2025 offensive lineman who got offered by Bill Biedenboe pretty recently. Now there's another kid on that offensive line, Tyler Mercer, who kind of seems to fit that Bill Biedenboe style. Mercer's currently committed to Tulane, uh, so again, there, there'd have to be some flip work done, and I don't even think OU's extended the offer yet. But that is something that potentially could end up happening. Um, I think that, like you said, it's going to be a heavy uh, effort in the portal, a heavy effort to maybe go to the JUCO route if find someone that they like in that that aspect. But uh, I think that 2025 is going to you're going to see Bill Beanebo really start pushing heavily for a lot of these offensive linemen again because they only got four in this 2024 class, or they at least only have four right now. And they didn't get the big fish that uh, that they thought they would. Uh, again, Akin Kumi is a great project offensive lineman. Uh, Isaiah Autry, there's some really promising things about him. Uh, all the linemen in this class, obviously, they identified for a reason. But again, there's not the, the big fish that you thought you'd get in Grant Bricks. Uh, you know, last year again, Caden Green, we're seeing what he's doing as a freshman now. We talked about that. It's amazing what Bill Biedenbo can do with such a high recruit. Because like we have hammered home. Caden Green is the highest recruit in Bill Bow history. We kind of thought that this year Grant Bricks might be that type of player. Again, he's a really, really highly rated offensive lineman. But it uh, looks like Bill Biedenboe will <laughs> be back to uh, what he usually does, which is, uh, you know, molding those uh, three-star, high, uh, lower four-star recruits. Unless uh, something turns uh, quickly towards the end here. Um, again, I think 2025 – is when Bill Biedenbeau is really going to start to try to hit the well again. Uh, Michael Fasusi, who's probably going to be a five-star offensive lineman when it's all said and done in the 2025 class, uh, he's releasing his top schools soon, he said. I don't know when soon is. Uh, no one does, I'm sure, except for him and Hayes Fawcett. But um, that's a guy that OU seems to, be, um, seems to have a good relationship with. And so if they are in his top schools, that wouldn't surprise me. I think that there's some other guys in 2025. I mentioned Connor Cardi. Uh, Owen Hollenbeck down in Melissa, teammates with Nigel Smith. Uh, those are those are a few other 25 guys that OU has offered that uh, I think that they're in a good spot with at the moment. But again, uh, that's a ways away, so we'll, we'll have to wait and see on those guys. I think you're right, though. Portal, uh, maybe Juco, that's where you're going to have to hit really heavy to get some offensive linemen on this team next year to kind of bulk that group up after. You're definitely going to lose some guys, especially some starters, maybe some, even some depth guys to graduation, the portal, things like that.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of guys that are that are graduating that are not definitely not coming back kind of thing. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, Rouse, does he have the option to
2: come back? I don't think so. I think Rouse is done after this year. And Matoyer,
0: um, McCabe Matoyer is
2: another one. I think Rame done after this year.
0: Rame, yeah, that's right. Well, Rame, Rame has a year left if he wants it. Well, it, uh, but Rouse and Matoyer are definitely 100% done after this year.
2: I've I I talked to NFL draft scouts that say that that have liked Rain for a few years. Um, yeah. I don't know that that means anything necessarily, but again, I've I've got I know a few guys in the NFL scouting department. They've liked Rain for literally two. They've told me two years now. So mm-hmm. I think it would probably be surprising to see him come back, just given that he probably would get drafted if he goes to the NFL. Yeah. Um, we've heard you might lose a guy like Tyler Guyton just because he's he could be a first round pick. I mean, he's a That's crazy athlete. Uh, Caleb Schaefer, I think, is a depth guy that's probably out of eligibility after this season as well. Yes. So you've you've got some holes to fill there on that offensive line. I mean, that's not even to mention some guys who might hop in the transfer portal. You know, so uh, there's there's a uh, there's work to be done. There's holes to be filled there uh, for offensive linemen in this upcoming class. But you might want some some quicker uh, or some some additional depth.
0: Yeah, they're going to need to hit the portal pretty hard. Um, defensive line, they lost. I guess, I don't know if you'd say lost. Uh, Let's just put it this way. There was a guy that was formerly committed on the defensive line. Uh, He has now committed somewhere else. He has committed to Texas Tech. They stopped, basically, they stopped recruiting him. He posted a few weeks ago that it didn't, uh, things didn't work out with OU, so he moved on in his recruitment, and uh, Danny Sa'ili has committed
2: to Texas Tech. Yeah, so Danny Sa'ili is a guy who committed to OU back in the summer, Uh, It was really confusing. We didn't really get a lot of information about his commitment. I think you were able to confirm that he was in the class of 2024. We were kind of wondering if he was going to be like a Dejounte, Terry, Philip Paya kind of guy who was going to be able to play, you know, right away, uh, come to campus, because those guys committed, uh, committed through the transfer portal later in the cycle as well. Uh, But but it was confirmed that he was going to be in the 2024 class. Later we found out that he was probably joining the team as a preferred walk-on, not a scholarship player anyway. Um, And so, with the way that Oklahoma was able to bring in some defensive linemen in the 2024 class, you know, getting David Stone, some guys like that, Nigel Smith, another guy, uh, Jaden Jackson. And, and again, that might be another place where they hit the portal this off season. Um, I think that, uh, like you said, they kind of backed off of, of Danny Sa'ili and he found another suitor, ironically, a team that OU used to play in their conference that, uh, you know, Texas tech that obviously the, The final game in that series at least for the foreseeable future was last year um but again it is interesting to see him uh you know commit now to lubbock uh but uh, knowing the connection between the two schools um again a guy who I think Sooner fans were really excited about when he committed because of just the sheer size. I mean, I think he's 6'2", 340 pounds, something like that. I mean, he's a large, large man, guy who, you know, you type of guy you want in the SEC who can eat up space in the middle. But I don't think that, you know, OU is too heartbroken about losing him. Again, he was a preferred walk-on. But it'll be interesting to see how he fares at Texas Tech. I think that uh, it'll be a fun career to follow. Uh, for him. Hutchinson Community College in Kansas, they produced some guys before.
0: Uh, Texas A&M is uh, probably with, uh, we mentioned the Aggies in segment one, I think segment two, uh, at least no matter how bad things are going, at least you're not Texas A&M, right? We, we Aggies are catching strays from us, which is fair, uh, because they fired their coach. And when you fire your coach and you historically underachieve year after year after year, all these great number one ranked re- recruiting classes that you sign are going to start losing people. Yep. People are going to start decommitting, people are going to start uh, in the recruiting area, people are going to start transferring, gonna hit the transfer portal. You told me there's a wide receiver who says he's heard from from AM, currently at AM, portal doesn't open till after next week's games. Uh, but you told me there's an A and M receiver who has heard from Oklahoma.
2: Yeah, Raymond Cottrell, who uh, I think he's a true freshman this season, uh, announced that he was in, that he would enter the transfer portal. I think he's got four years of eligibility remaining. So a guy that um, you know you can still get an entire college football career out of. Really, uh, big-bodied wide receiver. I think he's six foot three, two hundred and ten pounds. Um, now. I don't know that OU's, again, since he's not in the portal, I don't know if OU can officially extend that offer yet. I don't know if they have. But from what he has said, he's heard from Oklahoma. That's a school that uh, that he that has at least reached out to him. Um, so there's there's some interest there, at least. Uh, it, a guy who seems like he'd fit the Jeff Levy offense. I mean, we've kind of talked about Jeff Levy likes these big-bodied outside receivers. Jaden Gibson, Nick Anderson, prime examples of that. Go back to Ole Miss, same kind of thing there. Uh, so Raymond Cottrell definitely fits that mold. He is definitely is that big bodied outside receiver type. Uh, it's interesting that Oklahoma, if Oklahoma does take him, uh, you know, to get a, a guy who um, in, he would be joining the team with four years of eligibility left while you're also bringing in six committed wide receivers in the 2024 class. Uh, so that would, you'd essentially be bringing in seven wide receivers with four years of remaining eligibility, uh, which is Crazy, uh, but again, we've talked about Emmett Jones trying to make over this wide receiver room, and so uh, if he feels like Raymond Cottrell is going to add, you know, add to that and be a, a good piece to help make over that wide receiver room, then I don't see why they wouldn't bring him in. Again, um, a guy who's been in college for a year is probably going to be more helpful to you than a true freshman, honestly. So at that point, it comes down to you know what you think um, those guys can do for the future of your program versus you know. How how much uh, they'll affect right now versus Raymond Cottrell, so I, I, he's a guy that if he wants to come to OU, I'm sure the Sooners would take him. Uh, again, it might be hard to balance having him plus the six guys that they've got in 2024. But again, this was a guy who was really highly rated coming out of high school, just like you know most of a And wide receivers and their players in general are. Uh, you know, four star recruit. Uh, you know, out of Florida. Um, So that's a, that's an area that Jeff Lebby and company are, you know, been good recruiting at so far, Uh, you know, the Tampa area, Orlando area, especially. So uh, I think with him, we'll just have to wait and see, like you said, the portal's not open officially for a little bit, Um, but a guy that to keep an eye on.
0: Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk high school football playoffs. They're in the quarterfinals and semifinals, I think. And we'll, we'll do this. For the, for the listener, for the viewer, we'll stick to the state of Oklahoma. Most of our readers and listeners, viewers are going to be in Oklahoma. There's a lot in Texas. There's a lot in other states uh, throughout. But we're going to do just Oklahoma kids because we're going to preview. If we did Texas, we'd be here for two more hours. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is uh, we're going to tell you who's playing, who the opponent is, uh, and when and where the games are. That way if you're uh, if you can't make it to the OU game on Friday and you want to listen on the radio while you're watching the future of Oklahoma uh, out there on the field, we'll give you some uh, we'll give you some pointers. We'll give you some tips on where to go, when to be there and who to look out for. Is that fair?
2: I think that sounds great.
0: All right, let's start with Heritage Hall. Randall. Um, they're playing Marlowe. The game is at Newcastle and it's Friday at 1 pm. So, yeah,
2: so
0: it, during the OU game and you're going to be want to, wanting to watch Andy Bass.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, Newcastle right in that, you know, Norman, Oklahoma city metro area. If you're around again, Andy Bass has put up a fantastic season. I mean, it yeah. his numbers are incredible. Heritage hall has not lost. They've got a really solid team in general uh, at running back. They've got the son of former OU offensive lineman, Clay Travis, uh, Barrett Travis back there at running back. Who's done a nice job this year as well. He's a junior right now, but like you mentioned, the, the real star of that team, quarterback Andy Bass. Now, he's probably going to play running back, slot receiver type role at OU, but a guy who can do it all in high school, probably going to win Oklahoma Gatorade Player of the Year. Uh, again, the numbers that he's put up are insane. Uh, I would ex- marlowe has been good this year too, but I would expect Heritage Hall to continue to roll. Uh, like I said, they haven't lost all season, uh, and I don't expect that to happen on Friday. Carl Albert's got McGinnis
0: uh, at Noble. That one's Friday night, 7 o'clock, and you're going to want to check these guys out,
2: Randall, because there's a lot of them. Yeah, so if you're leaving that OU game, you know, maybe stop by Noble on the way home. It's just outside of Norman. Uh, Carl Albert, Bishop McGinnis, these are two of the top teams in 5A really every year. Um, These two teams both have a history of, you know, excellence at football in Oklahoma. Uh, You know, OU's had plenty of players come from Bishop McGinnis, you know, Brendan Walker, Gabe Eichert, just to name a few in the last couple of years. Uh, and carl albert obviously has been one of the top teams in the state uh having a bixby-esque run in football really um now this year they've got four ou commits and another player who's got an offer from ou at quarterback kevin sperry who's a four-star quarterback in the 2025 class remember he moved from rock hill texas up to uh oklahoma city this summer Is leading that offense again they haven't lost all season Uh, You know, behind him, Scott Xavier Robinson, who's another 2024 OU running back commit. I mean, again, you talk about guys who have put up crazy numbers. Last year as a junior, ran for 40 touchdowns and 2,900 yards. And as a senior, he's had another great season. So uh, definitely those two guys in the backfield. And then, you know, out of the skill position players, too, you've got Trine Washington, who's a receiver, cornerback, tight end kind of role, uh, committed to OU just about a month ago. Um, he's, He's also a junior in the 2025 class. Really good athlete. You and I have talked. We think that he's got the potential to be a, a much better player than he's rated at right now by recruiting services. He's, he's a really good one, I think. And uh, Marcus James, who's another guy who's got a lot of upwards potential, 6'4", 220 right now, plays tight end and linebacker. Uh, will play with linebacker at OU uh, also on that roster. And then the, the one guy that's uh, uncommitted there is is uh, one of the highest rated out of them all, four-star cornerback Tristan Haynes now. Alabama has offered him, um, Texas A&M, Oklahoma, all sorts of top programs from all over the country are in on Tristan Haynes. Uh, I think the OU is in a really good spot with him right now, but again, uh, nothing official yet. Uh, it, it does help to have four teammates who are all committed to OU, and um, so I think that uh, that Carl Albert and Bishop McGinnis is definitely one to watch if you're uh, interested in the future of OU football. They'll they'll be OU guys, future OU guys all over the field, and maybe. Maybe a, another future sooner there, uh, too.
0: Okay, let's sit this one out for a minute. While my wife comes home, the dogs are going to lose their craziness. So just sit tight until she walks in the door, please. Okay. I'm sitting right by the front door, so can't help it.
2: I understand. No worries. All right. <laughs> I wonder if um, Sperry will be at the uh, C four seven on seven tryout.
0: Sorry, I said uh, I, I don't know if he's going to need to try out, but he'll probably be there.
2: Yeah. So I'll probably if he's there and he's not trying out, I'll probably just talk to him off camera, just see what's up, see how like recruiting yeah. some other guys in twenty five is. Um, right. But, um, yeah, that's that's what I was wondering, too, is, like, so, like, the guys, like, because Trine's already on the team, right?
0: Uh, yeah, I believe so. Yeah.
2: So, like, those guys probably won't be trying out. But if if guys like Trine, like Tristan, like, the OU guys are, like, if they're doing stuff, I'll definitely try to get video of that because I'd probably be right. That's right.
0: cool. Okay, we can try to move on. Sounds like she's going to be going back and forth, but at least the dogs are quiet now. Okay, sounds good. Here we go. So that's Carl Albert McGinnis um, at Noble, 7 p.m. Friday. Also got uh, a a guy who's not committed, but all signs point to him committing. Uh, Washington is playing Vianne at East Central, my alma mater, Friday at 7 o'clock as well if you're in the Ada area. You're going to want to check that one out uh, because Nate Roberts is going to be playing against Vianne.
2: Yeah. Nate Roberts is a guy who is a phenomenal athlete at the tight end position, 6'4", 235, 240 already as a junior in high school, um, was previously committed to Notre Dame, but decommitted. And now I uh, I think that OU's in a really, really good spot with him. Um, again, he's taken visits to Ohio State, to Penn State, to some of these other schools this fall. Uh, so it's not like anything is assured. Nothing's a done deal yet in that department. But like you said, things look good for you right now. He was in Norman recently. Um, and so I think that uh, I think that the Sooners are in a good spot. This is definitely a guy that you're going to want to check out because he's fun to watch. Uh, he's going to put on another highlight reel performance, I'm sure, against Vianne. He can block. They try to get him the ball almost every play because he's just that good of an athlete. I mean, when he gets down on the line, he's bigger than all the offensive and defensive linemen there. I mean, this is two-way football we're talking about, and there's not usually this many good athletes that are that big, that move that well. He, You can tell that he's a, he's a really good tight end. I think he's a top 60 player in the country, top two tight ends. So uh, not often you get to see one of those guys, especially in your own backyard.
0: And uh, you know what? If you're in the Ada area uh, earlier in the day, you're going to want to watch. Uh, it's at East Central again, Friday at 1 o'clock. Jaden Nickens is uh, playing at, um, at Ada, at East Central. Um, wide receiver from Millwood. They're playing Ida Bell, one of those in-between games, at a playoff game there. Jaden Nickens uh, has got a ton of talent, and he's fun to watch.
2: Yeah, he is. I mean, this is a super, super athletic wide receiver. Uh, like we've said before on the podcast, he's a basketball player. He's got, he had multiple D1 offers for basketball. He even said at his commitment that if OU lets him, he'd do both. Um, so, again, worlds of talent, uh, super athletic. Uh, I think he's 6'3, 6'4, can just go up and get the ball. Uh, he's really fast, moves well for a guy who's that tall. Um, part of that 2025 class uh, that's already got three, four star wide receivers in it, uh, I think that he's got the potential just with how athletic he is to even climb in the rankings more. And I think he's around number 120 overall player right now. That could rise. Um, and again, Since Millwood lost to Heritage Hall in week one, they haven't lost again this season. Uh, They've kind of rolled through everyone, really. Uh, Their offense has looked good. They've got some other guys there. Um, I feel bad. I can't remember his name at the moment, but they do have a tight end who's a North Texas commit. Their quarterback, C.J. Turnbull, is a 2026 guy who I've written about before. He's got a lot of talent. He's been to Norman. was at the Brent Venables camp this summer. Uh, So that might be a guy to keep your eye on as well. But really, like you said, the highlight of the show, Jaden Nickens, uh, he's going to be there. Um, Ida Bell has has had a really good season too. They're undefeated. Um, so this is not any type of gimme game for Millwood. Um, there's Matrel Lopez is a running back out of Idaho Bell. He's got an offer from UTSA in the 2025 class, uh, probably not an OU guy, but a very talented football player. Nonetheless, that will be playing at the next level. So uh, that'll be a fun game to check out.
0: Yep. And then, um, if you're in the, in the Metro area, you can go to Southern Nazarene Friday night Seven o'clock and see Wagner take on my alma mater again at Southern Nazarene. But they're playing Ada Friday night, seven o'clock, and you get to see the Sooners' newest commit,
2: Alex Shield Knight. Yeah, uh, again, Wagner's a team that's kind of been dominant really all season. Uh, they've they're undefeated. I think twelve and zero. I went to watch them in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the, the night that Alexander Shield Knight committed, they took down Broken Bow fifty-seven to seven. They've looked really good all season. I think the next week they took down Tuttle, who another one of those really strong Oklahoma high school football teams. I think they took down Tuttle thirty to zero the next week. So this defense is just that Wagner defense is relentless. Uh, again, you got oh. Alexander Shield Knight there playing that defensive end position. He also plays tight end. I would imagine that uh, he's probably going to have another good game against Ada, who is also a good team, as you and I talked about uh, in our hotel room in, in Salt Lake City. The Ada has had a good year. They've got some some interesting players on that team. Uh, twenty twenty five tight end Cord Coffee is a guy from Ada who's been up to Norman a few times for game day visits this year. Doesn't hold an offer yet, but maybe could be a PWO guy uh, in the future. We'll see. Future uh, remains to be seen on that, but a talented high school football player, nonetheless. And, uh, I think that, uh, that matchup him, Alexander shielding, that could be fun to watch. And like you said, in the OKC Metro, um, that'll be a good one. And Ada, your alma mater, just to specify, not Southern Nazarene.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, go Cougs, right. (laughs) Let's go Ada. Um, I could sit here. I seriously, I could sing you the fight song for both East central and Ada. I won't do it because I can't sing, but, uh, I don't want people clicking off. We got one more. Um, My kid's alma mater, Union. (laughs) They're going to play in the showdown, semifinal showdown in 6A1, Uh, the the best of the best outside of what's become Bixby, which is just a monster. Uh, Union versus Jinx. You've got Devin Jordan on one side, committed to OU, and Caden Jones on the other side for the Trojans. Caden Jones, of course, a legacy-type player. Hewan Jones' son and a a very interesting prospect. Young guy versus a little bit older guy. Uh, I would like to go to that game just to watch those two dudes collide a couple of times. Uh, That's Friday night. If you're in the Tulsa area, Friday night at Sand Springs.
2: Yeah. uh, And, you know, these are two, I feel like I've kind of repeatedly said it, but these are two of the premier programs in Oklahoma high school football, regardless of class. I mean, Union Jinx; these are cream of the crop every year. It's just kind of the two of the top teams in in the state. Uh, going them going at it head to head, that'll be really entertaining. Like you said, Devon Jordan, the cornerback commit in the twenty twenty four class, is another guy who had a lot of offers: TCU, Texas A M, Alabama. Uh, very very interesting player. Uh, he'll he'll come in into uh, Norman next year. And in the twenty twenty six class, like you said, the younger guy, Caden Jones, who plays running back, plays defensive back. He he kind of does it all. He's around six foot, and he's a great athlete himself. Uh, both of these guys are really, really fast, around six feet tall. Um, we've, we've talked about it on the podcast. Caden Jones, real good athlete. He, he's really fluid-looking player, explosive. Uh, th- I think that'll be a fun matchup to see. Uh, you know, They both play both sides of the ball. I think it'll be a fun matchup to see those two go head-to-head, and just in general to see two just really good football teams, Union and Jinx, go at it uh for union i think shaker recic should be back in this game i i don't want to i don't know that for sure so if he's not i apologize to the listener um but he's been a great quarterback all year uh, when he was healthy uh a three four star type guy uh who may even have earned an offer from OU if the sooners weren't able to corral kevin sperry so early you know uh so he's a talented a talented quarterback uh that that if he's healthy he's fun to watch regardless of uh, where he ends up in college but the two, two OU guys in that one, like you said, Devon Jordan committed, Caden Jones, who's got the offer. And right now it looks like OU's in a good good spot with him. I see him at uh, on the sideline of a lot of the, the games that uh, that are in Norman. So it seems like he's got a good relationship there.
0: Mhm. always helps to have that legacy behind you as well with Kiwan. So yeah. uh, Kiwan was a great player for the Sooners. We'll wrap it up with this. Uh, team rankings as they stand right now, not much changed. Number six in the rivals rankings number seven in the 24 seven sports rankings and up one spot this week to number eight in the on three rankings. So Brent Venables and those guys are absolutely building a top 10 class. And uh, my guess is they're going to probably try to finish strong with a couple of, a couple of stars coming in. Uh, We shall see.
2: And Uh, Randall. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. In the 2025 class right now, I think they've got a top five class across all three of the right. So, uh, that one is just going to continue to build uh, more talent. They're in on some really talented prospects in that class. That one, I would say, the 2025 class is probably going to be even higher than 2024.
0: Yeah, it's shaping up to be that way so far, man. Hey, appreciate it as always.
2: Can I can I add one more thing? I forgot I forgot to 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 give it to you beforehand. But uh, for the OU fans that for whatever reason were worried about David Stone going to Missouri, uh, he is in Oklahoma. He was in Norman earlier this week, and I would expect. Again, I don't want to confirm anything. I would expect that he will be at the game on Saturday, or Friday. Uh, so, OU fans, hopefully that quells your worries if you had any. But, again, uh, I, I would expect David Stone's been back in town. He's been on campus. I would expect he'll be back on campus uh, Friday for the game.
0: All right. If he's there, we'll look for him. Appreciate it, Randall. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, Uv. Yep, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week on the All Sooners podcast. Don't forget the post-game podcast Saturday. It'll be Saturday night, it's an 11 a.m. start, but for us it'll be Saturday night after the TCU game. It'll be certified fresh from the press box, that much I can tell you. You can find those and all of our shows on Apple, Google, Spotify, Podbean, iHeart, or anywhere you listen to your podcasts. If you have an Amazon-enabled device, just say Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. It's also posted on our website, allsooners.com. Just click on the player, listen on your phone, your tablet, or your computer, and all our shows are posted on my YouTube channel, John Hoover Media. Easy. For Ryan Chapman, the Randall Sweet, I'm John Hoover. See you guys.